0: Welcome to Tech London, a show featuring interviews with London's top creative entrepreneurs, startups, investors, design agencies, internet marketers, and freelancers that make up the Tech London online community, which mostly lives on the Slack instant messaging platform. We rotate through both hosts and guests for these interviews, so you have the chance to hear from multiple perspectives on London's tech scene. Hello, everybody. Uh, Welcome back to the Tech London podcast. This week, we have Celso Pinto in the studio. Celso is a Portuguese expat in London since 2012. And he's the founder of usepixie.com, a product for small accountancy teams. Primarily, he's passionate about all things product. He has a diverse track record working in executive management teams from the early stages of opportunity research to growing the companies as well. Welcome Celso to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Rob.
0: Yeah, so I guess uh, since this is the Tech London Podcast, everybody wants to hear how you ended up in London. What's your London story?
1: Oh, boy. (laughs) It's uh, it's a very long one. So, in fact, I moved in for the first time to London in April 2000. So, coming from Lisbon is great, but it's also a very small town, and the, the The market there isn't very dynamic now it's a bit more, but still I was kind of like just more eager to to work in a more dynamic environment. and you know in the 20s, obviously the biggest capital we have, the biggest capital we have here in Europe is, is London, so there's only that attraction and that brought me here for the first time in in 2000. I actually ended up going back home uh, in the same year. Mostly because of the dot .com, com crash that hit the UK really, really hard. And I had a really good offer to go back to, to live in for a mobile software company. And yeah, I just ended up taking that offer. Anyways, fast forward a few years. I was working on a product called Simple Tax in, in Portugal with tax filing. We're looking into a bigger market. We're also talking to investors about growing the growing the business. And uh, that kind of led us to come to the UK with a product and the business. We ended up being selected to participate in Seedcamp Camp back in 2012. And that's really what prompted me to, to move here. It's to it make sense to run a product like that from outside. So, yeah, just settled here permanently and very, very happily, if I may say so.
0: Awesome. So your introduction to tech was since the pre.com in 2000. Did you come into tech as a technical person or a product manager?
1: Yeah, no, I started my career back in 98 as a software developer. I carried on doing that work until about 2009, give or take. So then in 2009, I had this opportunity to transition into more product type rules. I was really, really keen about it as well. I just been out of a period and just felt out of love with technology at the time. So just being able to leave, you know, that nitty gritty of technology, looking more into product, interacting with people, which sounded really, really interesting to me. So I ended up making that like transition over the 2009, 2010 period. And since then, I've been mostly working either on product or in operations.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. It feels like, you know, especially nowadays, getting into technology from the software development side of things, it's such a low barrier. But once you get going and you start working on a few projects, you end up gaining these other skills, you know. So it's it's like building that foundation and then working your way up the org chart, whereas you can't really do that the other way other way around. So I feel like it's a special place where you have tech, uh, of my interest, with a technical background and a history in software development. I feel it gives you a bit of a superpower. Is that right?
1: Uh, it helps. <laughs> it, it definitely helps to having conversations with engineers to immediately have a good understanding of what the trade-offs that they're speaking about are. Obviously, you know, with enough time and conversation and learnings, this I'm sure um, will be, anyone can learn those things. But again, it just creates a different kind of empathy right away with with the software engineers, with the engineering teams. And yeah, it definitely helps. It's not a requirement per se, but yeah, I've I've definitely encouraged. Even now, you know, I I don't get away from from doing code if necessary. Again, I'm not by far up to date with all the more modern stuff. But yeah, as long as you know the fundamentals, as long as you have a good understanding Of what the trade-offs are of this decision versus that decision. Engineers, you know, they need to run the show, they need to let us know exactly how things should be getting built, but then just having an understanding for what that actually means is really, really helpful. So I definitely encourage anyone, you know, if you're coming into product management from a design perspective, from a design background or from a marketing background and support background, I definitely encourage you going to go into one of those kind of like boot camp style courses just to get you know, like understand the fundamentals of web development modern development and stuff like that That's really helpful I sure.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a good a good skill to have in your back pocket whenever you want to like mock up something. Yeah. So, uh, UsePixie is uh, is another is a, is an accounting is a software for small accounting firms to keep up to date with their with their clients and uh, provide reminders. And also, I'm sure it does a lot of other things. What was the first first version of that that you felt was ready for the world? How did that look?
1: Yeah, and well, was it wasn't perfect. <laughs> oh boy! Sure. Okay. Well. Okay. So, first version wasn't that much different. I mean, there are definitely differences, but the fundamentals state pretty much the same. So we adopted a set of principles around the product at the time that we uh, understood to be the principles that guided our customers towards using the product and being successful with it. So simplicity is one of those, for example. And even now, you know, having those principles in place really helps to steer the decisions around the product on whether or not to pursue certain features that are going to be super complex for about 80% of our customers or 90% of our customers. So do we really want to do it in that way? Perhaps not. But sometimes it helps clear the post-sales. So there's always that, you know, it's good to have those guidelines to, to help make those decisions. In any case, so going back to, to the product itself, some of the fundamentals were pretty much the same, but other things just really changed drastically once we started to realize and getting the feedback in that the workflows were, weren't were as streamlined as folks were expecting them to be, if that makes sense. So it wasn't such as, but we understood very early like what would be the fundamental features that the product would need to have like table stake features for or to even join the conversation in terms of being a valid alternative for, for accountants. So once that was out of the way, and we had that understanding, then what differs really is how do we design these features? And, you know, when you're operating with feedback, let's say from 5, 10 people, it's one thing. When you're operating from feedback from 500 to 1,000 people, it's like a completely different ballgame, because now the feedback that you get, or rather we get more exposure to different ways of using the product, if that makes sense. So the, the, the workflows that we envision for, you know, five people is, aren't going to work for everyone, inevitably. So having that feedback loop there was really, really useful. Um, so whereas, you know, from a design perspective, from a, a foundational perspective, it kind of stays the same. The workflows, they've been and constantly keep streamlining them um, just to make sure that things are easy to, or work is easy to get done in our, in our product, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And uh, in terms of the difficult decisions you have to make in terms of giving a customer what they want versus not giving them what they want, what's, what's one product feature that at the time didn't make sense? for the small amount of people that it would benefit versus now? Is there something that uh, they've been asking for that maybe makes sense now to implement? And can you give us an example of such a feature? And like, what was the cost and benefit analysis?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, actually, I can give you two, two, in fact, two examples. One of them is something that we are working on right now, which is e-signing of documents. We're working with a small subset of customers. No one comes from Pixie from scratch, okay? Or rather... Right now, we're seeing more of that, but typically the customers that come into Pixie, they've been uh, running their own business for a while now, so they have ways to get documents signed and things like that. And we resisted for the longest time to to have that feature into Pixie, very deliberately as well, because we thought, you know, there are so many good products out there for document signing, why are we going to invest in creating something that's half-baked compared to all those features that's... There's no chance that we have the same resources and we're able to dedicate the same resources as those guys that are doing that like full-time. And then we actually understood the the workflow for getting documents signed and why it is so important to have that in a product like ours. So now we decided to make that investment from a resource perspective and we're working to have that launch in the first quarter of the next year. So that's an example of something that we resisted not doing, but... Again, once we start getting more exposure to bigger firms, to other firms, we go, yeah, okay, this makes a lot of sense. So that was one. Another one is something that we get a lot uh, from larger firms. And this is important because we know our customers. We know which kind of customer we want to that. We are in the business of serving small businesses, uh, small firms, two to 10 people. We have plenty of attention from larger firms as well that want a simple product to manage the workflows internally. However, the bigger firms tend to have more complex and more sophisticated workflows as well. And one of those workflows is just the ability to have team assignments, which is one task gets assigned to a team. And whenever someone from that team becomes available, they will deal with the task. In a small team of five, this doesn't exist. <laughs> like, it's all hands on deck, generally, you know, it's kind of like everyone does a bit of everything. In a team of 20, 50 people, this is definitely going to happen. Uh, so there's going to be like a small team of bookkeepers, a small team of payroll people, a small team of accountants that are doing the tax prep. So this isn't a problem that we have for small teams and for our target customers. And we always get this from from the bigger clients coming on board, going, "Look, we need this feature. We love the product. We love everything else, but we can't come on board without this feature." And one of the best positions for us right now is that obviously we'd like to, we'd love, I'd love to work with those bigger firms uh, just for the learning aspect of it. But it's not going to make a material difference for us. We're in a very fortunate position of. Being able to do this, which is to say, look, we're not going to invest in that. We're not. We prefer not to have you on board. It's not going to make any difference for us monetarily. To have this firm, and again, this stems out from the fact that we kind of know which kind of customer we want to attract. To to begin with, we focus on that and delivering the features for those ones, which enables us to say no to the features from from customers who are outside of that those those parameters so yeah, hopefully this, uh, these two cases
0: are useful, but let me know what you think. Yeah, I feel uh, it it makes sense because at a certain point the firm becomes large enough where they have their own like legacy ERP or some other like monolithic system where where you as a as I understand, a single price point SaaS, wouldn't it wouldn't make sense to add this complication. First, it will confuse your your existing customers. Because they'd be like, "Why do we need this? Some people. So when I, 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 think that uh, as a firm grows, they can't really understand why a bigger firm would do something in such a way, and they would cause confusion. So I think it's the. I feel like that's the right decision, especially if you're concentrating on uh, five to twenty people teams. Is that what you said?
1: Yeah, uh, two to ten. Two to 10, 10. Yeah, it's it's more.
0: Simpler. A big part of your product is sending or at least from the website, I'm not an accountant, so I haven't tried it, is is enabling your your clients to notify their clients of important dates and documents and stuff like that. I'm kind of going through this with my accountant now. I kind of have to remember to tell him that I need to do my accounts. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he'll charge yeah. me £50 a month just to remind me. Yeah. So, so communication is like a big part of the product. Do you see... At the moment, you're integrating with G Suite and Exchange and sending it through their email service. I'm guessing, and not through your own SendGrid account or whatever. How do you see the communication landscape changing with in, in terms of your your clients, the accountants, and with their clients? Yeah, I talk to my accountant like if there's documents, I email him, but he's on my WhatsApp. You know? Yeah, yeah. And do you think um, about getting into that space of other means of communication like text or?
1: Yeah, you know, that that's a really good point. And I think that in, in this space, accountants and accountancy services, folks have realized in the past few years that, you know, the personal patch matters lots, lot, um, more than anything, in fact. With that in mind, you know, you see more and more accountants, for example, using Slack, setting up Slack for clients, emails go out and, and under the individual name. So instead of just being this abstract thing, from from an entire firm, suddenly it's you know it's Mohammed at Picty, for example. And that's that's writing to me about my tax return. So those things really really matter, and that's a big shift that I've seen happening over the past few years as well. It, it's it's a great thing. Okay, I think it's a great shift to make business relatable. And again, small small accountants they, they're, they're they're very close to their customers. You know, it's not like a big firm. You go to one of the I wouldn't even like say the big four, but because that's like you know, unimaginable, like the people doing the work have nothing to do with the client whatsoever if they see the you. But, you know, even if you get like to the top 100 accounting firms here in the UK, for example, there's a, I would say a bit disconnect. There's definitely a partner that looks after the client, et cetera. But it, it, the people doing the work, they rarely contact the client or the client even knows who they are. You know, it's to be expected. It's the way things scale, professional services. Uh, It's just the nature of the beast. But the smaller smaller firms, it's like completely opposite. They know everything about the clients. They know whether they're married, have kids, dog's birthday, dog's name, you know, all of that stuff. So it's a more personal relationship. And I think that changing the communication to reflect that makes a lot of sense. And that's also one of the things that it's interesting you point out that the, the UK is about the tax return because it's super timely here in the UK. January is coming around. January is when the deadline for filing tax returns happens. And, and before starting Pixie, I spoke with a few hundred accountants. I spoke with a few hundred uh, business owners as well, because I really wanted to have a really good understanding of whether my case was a fluke. So I have to admit I've never had a really good relationship with accountants, because it always felt like super transactional and like hey, see I'm a quarter, fill out these things for me, and then send it by this deadline. I'm like, okay, great, so let's do this. And then whenever something's needed, you need to repeatedly chase it as a client. And what I realized is that there's lots that's lost in in the inbox, so requests. If you send it to someone in the firm, that person might not be the one doing the work, but it's on their inbox. So they, they don't forward because they have like a, hundreds of their emails. The client gets the request, the, the client asks, and the client request gets lost. From an accountant's perspective, it's super challenging to manage client relationships. Someone like you, as you mentioned, you know, you come around once a year to file a tax return, that's it. So you're not a very profitable client for, for an accountant. <laughs> But, you know, it's still money. So it's still a good client to have. So the challenge really was, okay, how can we give all clients the same level of service, regardless of how much money they bring and how often we deal with them? There's definitely a standard. I know if you read this book called The uh, Score Takes Care kind of Itself by Bill Walsh. Uh, he was like an NFL coach. And you used to have like this uh, thing called the standard of performance, that he uh, imputed into um, all of his teams. And this was a really good thing to have because, for example, he would deliberately give a checklist to the person picking up the phone. At, I think it was like the San Francisco 49ers. And um, he would give them a checklist on how to answer the phone and how to correctly redirect a call to whatever the final destination would be. So anyways, having this sort of standard of performance for every single client is really important. Having the systems in place that have automated this and just make sure that in your case, you did not need to test the client. Why would the, the accountant, why not? Because they would have, with Pixie obviously, uh, they would have had a task that, is, that started back in October I would have sent you an email to let you know, hey, the end of the year is coming around. Do you want to work with us again this year or not? And if so, this is, these are the deadlines. Just write me an email to get the task started. You'd say, yes, I'm interested. They would go one click, create the task based on that, and we're off to the races. So it's really that sort of thing that we bank a lot or that we focus a lot on in, in Pixie. So just those smaller relationship-driven kind of like communications, making sure that nothing gets lost, requests get lost, deadlines don't get missed, et cetera, with these smaller, sort of smaller automations without still forgetting about the personal touch. No one wants to get an email from a robot. So that's why Pixie sends the email on behalf of the accountant themselves. This is where that integration, as you mentioned, comes into play, right? Because the email comes in from a known email address and from the email address of my accountant that I usually deal with it looks like a plain text email, so it's something, it's something that someone wrote, and those things really, really matter. And there's definitely that trend of you know just making business more personal, especially at the at the smaller side of business relationships. Again, this doesn't really apply for bigger firms; they have like different problems, different scale of problems. But for smaller firms, uh, we're seeing that it does make a difference on that front and does allow the accountants and like. Overcome that challenge of making the more personable and managing all the client relationships
0: in the same way. Yeah, definitely. You know, I've uh, I've I totally agree with the fa- the importance of you know the person to person contact with the accountants. I actually moved away from a famous mid sized accountancy firm in London because it felt like it felt like I was being told by the principal to get do my homework, you know, mm-hmm. and then they would charge me like a bomb and mm-hmm. and it would be like i can just go to a local shop i'll know the guy person to person for me as a technic- as a developer who has a limited company and has all these like tax responsibilities <laughs> especially <laughs> things that like i don't understand them you know i need somebody who can talk to me person to person and who I can like yeah. it, when you when as a founder when you when you don't understand a part of your business and obviously you can't understand everything 100% you there has to be that that misunderstanding has to be replaced with trust and you don't get that with the mid yeah. firm where you're just like you know like shoe go away you know so yeah. that's what, like for me i don't know maybe this guy that i have doesn't know what he's doing but yeah i, f- yeah. I feel like he does i feel like he's got my back and that's yeah. what i'm paying for at the end of the day and i have to accept that you know yeah yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so, no definitely and again your experience is not that uncommon right unfortunately it's not that uncommon but again, I think that's where the smaller firms have to have room to, to win, uh, if that makes sense. So in this space, there was a trend forming a few years back um, where the big big accountancy providers, software software providers, they're kind of like, it's just a joke between me and myself and a few of us where, okay, when are they going to step in to kind of like take away that relationship? between the accountants and the clients so that they become kind of like the moderators in the sense of if you, need, if you need something done, you go on that platform, make a request, and then it's going to be fulfilled by the other side of the marketplace, which is from professional accountants. But you don't have that relationship with you speak with software. Anyhow, fast forward a few years, that thing becomes a reality. Faster, fast forward a few more years, and now we're seeing these firms kind of like toning down <laughs> the voice of it because they suddenly realize that, oh, at the small level, business is personal. So the idea of you know going on websites and going, yeah, I want someone to file my VAT return. In theory, this is great. But in practice, this is horrible because you want to file it, sure, but you also want to learn about it. You also want to, to have a bit of an understanding of, what running that part of business entails. So that's now, yeah, that that's like what's happening right now. And those programs are getting kind of like toned down a bit. And eventually, you know, they're not going to, they're going to get canceled, I the imagine. It's just really, really, really difficult to scale personal relationships with, with big organizations It's really hard, especially in professional services. It's just impossible. The two are like in direct conflict. You cannot scale that and maintain a profitable business unless you scale the price, but then you price out all these smaller clients anyways. So kind of like in this constant struggle. And yeah, yeah. I think that the time is really good for for smaller firms right now. I really, really do. Especially with so much happening to COVID and all the work that's coming out.
0: Totally. Uh, a lot of people who are uh, what I've seen, at least in my family in London, people are being made redundant and yeah. they turn to doing soul trader stuff. They turn to, yeah. you know, starting a little, uh, little food business on the side or, you know, and uh, yeah. I feel like this is a good time for those uh, smaller accountants. Maybe they lose their bigger clients, but they're gaining uh, a lot of people who, who are being like forged in fire. As they say, yeah. <laughs> you
1: know? yeah.
0: because I, I, you know, you hear stories about. I mean, I, th- I feel like nowadays you hear stories about uh, the people who graduated during the market crash and <laughs> in in two thousand eight. Yeah, in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and now they've. At that time, they had to survive, and in order to su- in order to survive, they had to make something of their own by themselves, start their own business, and now yeah. they're like they're the people we look up to today. So I think they're going to have a lot of people in 10 years time who are are going to say 2020 happened. And then I started this thing. I never thought I'd start a business and now I'm super big. And, and especially nowadays with the, you know, with technology that possibly allows you to scale personal, personalized contact, for example, GP, GPT, you know, that the AI that sounds like a human, it is possible for, small client small accountancy firms i think maybe i'm wrong to scale with those businesses as they grow yeah and yeah. because for me like i'm like uh, if i don't get fined i'm going to stay with this guy as big as i get <laughs> you know that's, that's yeah, yeah the, like that that's that's the way i look at it you know sure. so what, what do you think is the the next big thing in 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 the accounting tech space it's not is it is it fintech Aww. is it considered fintech
1: Oh man, you know what? that's a really big question. I mean, it depends. It depends, mate. So if it, it 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 kind of goes like this: like if you're if you're looking to raise like VC money, yeah, just by all means jump on the fintech <laughs> bandwagon. Fintech right now just means everything. Yeah, I had people calling Pixie fintech. It breaks my heart. It's like it's not fintech at all. It has nothing to do with fintech. Yeah, the productivity yeah. Program, the software. <laughs> you know, it has nothing to do with that. But, again, it just depends on the target market, I guess.
0: Oh, for a big C.
1: Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, I, honestly, I, I'm not sure what's next. If I'm honest with you, I'm not too much into the big things. Like I, I could go on a, on a rant here about, you know, AI is going to be a big thing. I don't think it is. I think it's going to be years away. There was a bit of a hype a few years back. Where it was like AI everything, oh AI bookkeeping, AI reporting, AI all the things, and none of that came to pass. Mostly because it's like it's 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 really hard to do AI where human judgment is necessary. Even even the, the bookkeeping or the well, what they call the, the ledger apps, even those, they are like tens and tons and tons of information. So they would be able to immediately just reconcile all the transactions and whatnot with just a bit of metadata because they'd be able to figure out, right? look, this is the candidate. Oh, so it goes under entertainment, for example. They didn't do that, dude. Everything is like a manual process because it needs to be considered in the context of that business. Yeah. And for my business, you know, this candidate, Coke today it's uh, staff entertainment. But if I gave it to you, it's, it's client entertainment, which is like completely different in tax terms, you know. So it's really important to have that context. And AI, it really doesn't help there unless it, it observes everything, which is impossible. So, yeah, that, that didn't come to pass.
0: Like, especially, you're right, there was a lot of hype over the last years. And the way I look at it is, you know, it's a tool, right? Like, imagine yeah. imagine, yeah. imagine the Romer, Romans were like, kept talking about hammers. <laughs> you know, we'd be thinking... Okay, it's just a hammer. Oh, it it's not a big deal, you know. Like <laughs> people yeah. are talking about it as if it's going to save the whole world, but it's a tool that you use sometimes, and then you don't use it most of the time. And as a technical person, if I can't debug it, <laughs> I don't want to use it.
1: <laughs> it's kind of like a black box. You just have to live with it. Dude. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, it's it, you know, I'm sure there are like there there are very specific places where AI is going to make a ton of difference. I'm sure of that, but whether that's the big thing, the next big thing for software or accountants, I'm not entirely clear sure on that. And uh, to be honest with you, I think that the thing that might be the next thing really is whatever allows. Kind going back to your interesting, yeah. Sorry, I'm just connecting the dots here on my end. So I'm just thinking, for example, what you mentioned about you know 2008, 2009, businesses getting started then. And they operated like vastly different, like way more capital efficient because there was no capital around to begin with. So for now, kind of like this, I would, you know, trying to put my crystal ball in here and just trying to glimpse into it. I would say, you know, whatever allows accountants to scale and keep their lifestyle. So scale the business, grow the business, but keep the lifestyle is potentially going to be the next thing for smaller firms. Whether that's true or not, I have no idea. But I do know that everyone is kind of aching for that. Just having more more income, uh, being able to deal with more clients without having to you know, work through the night. I was talking to someone, today, interestingly enough, and, uh, well, as you, as you know now, uh, tax filing season is coming around the corner. So what they're doing is 9 to 11. So 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. This is like their work schedule. This is brutal. Anything that comes along that Helps alleviate this, I think we'll do really, really well. What that is, I I can't tell you. Whether it's going to be AI or something else, I, I don't know. To be honest with you, and to be fair, I'm also kind of like distracted with my own thing. <laughs> I spend too much time just trying to detect what the next wave is going to be, fortunately or unfortunately. I think we just stick to the fundamentals and hope that it worked for us.
0: Totally. So you said your own thing. Are you doing something on the side with? Others as well. What do you you think of the independent hacker movement? I love it.
1: I absolutely love it. Yep, Yep. absolutely love it. I think it's the best thing to happen in terms of narrative over the past 10 years, by far. I think that was a really, really needed shakeup of the entire ecosystem. I know lots of people who are in the VC business, know lots of investors. I love them dearly. I hope they are very, very successful. But it's quite disheartening to see folks who could be running their small business being turned down because their business is going to be a lifestyle business. And the lifestyle business to an investor, please understand that this is something making, you know, half a million, a million a year. This is a lot of us. (laughs) Where I came from, that's a lot of money that sustains a very good lifestyle for business owner, their team, etc. cetera. But it does, it's not material for an investor. So from that perspective, it becomes really, really challenging. So the indie hackers coming around and going, you know, looks like raw balling and whatnot, going around saying, you know what, that's fine, mate. Um, just build your business to a quarter of a million, to half a million, and just run it, you know. Or even if you want to run something on the side to to you know just complement your your income, that's fine as well. I think that that's a really important mentality and a really important important change of mentality as well. That said, I think that there is also a bit of a, I'm not sure if toxic. Would, I think toxic is too strong a word, but there is there is also the risk of worshipping worshipping people. So just because someone is able to pull off a job board in the beach of Thailand or something like that, it doesn't mean that everyone's going to be as lucky as that. There's a ton of luck involved in that. There's timing. There's a ton of stuff. I wouldn't really encourage anyone to try to, like, capture that lightning again. So, you know, again, just look around. Small businesses have lots of problems. Small, Small niches have lots of problems. Right now, I don't know. Look, Let, let's talk accountants, right? Something that can only be used by accountants in London. It's a small niche, but by all means, if they have a common problem, there is a business to be had there. Even if it generates like hundred grand or something like that a year. It's a valid business in my eyes. And it's definitely valid business at you know at the indie hacker kind of like movement. And I think that it's important for folks to be able to, you know, kind of like step into that. Start small. Do that thing that generates a small level of income, just enough for you to focus on it full time, or for you and a couple of other people to focus on it full time. It's never going to be like this gigantic, you know, Uber-like thing. But to be fair, you'll never have the headaches that the folks running that business will have, which is a good thing, which can be a really good thing as well. So yeah, I think it's really, really important for, for the Yeah, session.
0: and you're seeing you nowadays that you know some of these gargantuan companies it's a bit of smoke and mirrors and you know speculation and a bit of uh, hope you know so I, yeah you're right, like you probably have the same chances of becoming uber as you do becoming Level i o you know uh, yeah. yeah
1: yeah that's, so, it. that's, that's yeah, it has to be it
0: has there has to be a balance like you have to figure out what you need to get to where you need to get to in your business and yeah. then work on concentrating on that instead of the lifestyle or the aesthetics of either an Uber or a Levels.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's so interesting because, like, once you start looking into, you know, once you move away from the fringes, so the two ones that you mentioned from Levels and from Uber, for example, when you start moving towards the middle or the middle ground and you start dealing with communities like the community for quite a another thing. Let me open my Slack because I have the name of them right there. The MicroConf Connect, for example, the MicroConf Connect Cloud. Well, this like a ton of businesses there that are generating you know, five, ten grand MRR, if that. But the community is like super supportive and just achieving exactly that purpose of independence. You know, just enough income to, you know, to give you that autonomy to work on it full time without having to be concerned about things. Without making ends meet, without having to become like this huge business as well, and I think that that's really really important to have. Just you know that, urge or that that group of people that are kind of like like minded and in the same journey as you are, because it kind of keeps you grounded. Again, if you're looking at levels, you you look at the guy and go like, oh, my God, I want that lifestyle. I want exactly that. So yeah, I'm going to try to rep- replicate what what he has. It's not going to work. You, you're not that guy. You don't have his personality. You don't have his tone of voice. You don't have his properties. You don't have, you know, there's so many things that are like so unique to that specific case. That, he was he was yeah, very
0: early as well. He started mm-hmm. up. He's he was very early for what he's doing.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly.
0: His his job board and I think Remote IO and no yeah. List. Like these are not technically special things, but he did it at the right yeah. time. He was listening to what people needed at the time and it worked out. Actually, John, who is the the main admin on, on our Slack group, I met him through Nomad, the Nomad Slack. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so... There you go.
1: Yeah. It, um, yeah, I think, it, yeah, I think those groups are good, in honesty. Yeah, they just simulate things or make things possible.
0: So if you if you weren't in tech... What
1: would what would you be doing? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, if you asked me, literally, I remember this very distinctly. Uh, being, I don't know if that was like prep school here, it's like about sixth, sixth grade. I remember very distinctly like a teacher asking, "Hey, okay, what you want to do for the future?" blah. blah, blah. at the time, I was already like competent in computers. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm. Want to work with computers? That's great. So I, I honestly don't know anything else. <laughs> I don't know, run a beach bar somewhere, maybe. <laughs> that sounds like fun. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, that's 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 really the thing. I I never really considered anything else, to be honest.
0: Perfect. Okay, so we're coming up to an hour. <laughs> I didn't think. Oh wow! This, yeah. Crazy. I didn't think this uh, conversation would go so long, but it's been interesting. I'll ask you like a few quick round questions now. What's your, what was your morning routine like pre-pandemic and now post-pandemic? Wow. And it's okay to say I don't have a morning routine because I wake up like at 10 o'clock sometimes. So no shame.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay, good. (laughs) You're making me sweat. You're like, oh, okay. What can I make up to (laughs) pretend? I wake up like really early in the morning.
0: Oh, to make you comfortable, but, I'll, I'll give you mine. I wake up when I want, I take a shower, brush my teeth and I eat and I get to work. That's my routine. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so pre-pandemic wasn't that different. I'm not a, one of those folks that's able to wake up like at six in the morning. I don't know why I never was. It's not that I go to bed late. I just don't like to get up so early. So for me, typically we'd go, you know, just getting up, having a coffee, jumping on the bus, go to the working space, do my work there. And That would be my morning. Nowadays, it's not that much difference. So I get up in my pajamas and do work in my pajamas until about like eleven or something. And when it's time to actually take a shower, because the sales calls are starting, so it's not a good thing to do in them in pajamas. Although I have done some, I'm not going to say to who. But <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 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 interesting. But at the same time, I'm kind of wondering, you know, because I think that we're going to be in this form at least another year, so I'm just kind of wondering, like, what can I do to get out of the house in the morning? I do remember at the time I was suggesting to a friend of mine to uh, because they were like getting really dragged down. I was just telling them, look, what you can do is do exactly the same thing as if you were going to the office and just go around the block, grab a coffee and bread, and then come back home. And so it's just kind of like to do that routine there. So I may look into that myself, um, just to you know get that change of scenery in in the morning because to be fair it's getting it's getting gold news it's becoming old news this <clears> stuff <throat> about getting up and just going straight to the computer <throat> um, so i need to find a healthier habit as well
0: yeah totally you mentioned the uh, score takes uh score takes care of itself by bill walsh i put that down in my reading list is there any other books that you recommend for
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, look. So the other book, interestingly enough, someone was mentioning that to me the other day. Sort of on I idea, the other, like yesterday, mentioning us like, "Hey, have you ever read this book? It's amazing." And I look at it, and it's Crossing the Chasm by Geoff Moore. That mark—it's kind of like a marketing-ish book. I definitely recommend. I'll—I'll tell you exactly the same thing I told them. Um, that book is so good that it wrecked every single business book for me. Because it delivers so much value, it's not even funny and it costs pennies. definitely one of those books that I would recommend everyone to uh, read alongside with the Scortics Curve itself, even though the Scortics Curve itself has nothing to do with business and there's nothing to do with time, <laughs> But sometimes, you know, you get learnings from wherever they come. So
0: Exactly, exactly. Uh, fun fact my first internship, uh, I, I did it with Lufthansa. And we had a big. I was working with some consultants to design an algorithm, and the algorithm was based on uh, what I used to do when I used to DJ at school. (laughs) It's basically the same the same process for airplanes, and it worked. So yeah, you you never know where you get inspiration.
1: Wow, that's super random, actually. (laughs) Uh,
0: Yeah, it was uh, it was crazy. Okay, so let's. We got you know kids nowadays are. You know they're getting inspiration on TikTok uh, to start their own little tiny businesses, and you know a lot of investment advice advice there for some reason. <laughs> you know, for kids coming out and deciding whether to sit on Zoom for university or do something else with their life, what do you suggest for somebody who's trying to get into tech or start oh. a business? You, try, you suggest the, like the VC route or bootstrapping, or what do you? What do you...
1: That's a tough question. So I'm going to go against the grain here, and I'm going to encourage everyone that can to attend university. I know it's very trendy to say, oh, it's useless. It's not useless. I didn't do it, and I just feel the lack of it. So by all means, just invest those four years of your life into that degree. It's definitely worthwhile. Yes, I know it's going to cost a lot of money, but it's definitely worthwhile. But rather, it's not going to be a limiting factor, which is something that you definitely want to have over the course of uh, a lifetime. So that would be step number one. And if again, I fully understand and appreciate not everyone is in a position to be able to do so. But for those that are, please do it. Don't, you know, drink the eight or old Kool-Aid of, you know, not attending university because it's a waste of money and blah blah blah. Again, outliers, okay? Um, you heard
0: it here so first, enough. stay in school. What about those who uh, finished
1: university? <laughs> yeah, I love that, actually. That, uh, how old are you? You're not old enough to remember that stuff. <laughs> like, stay in school, man. Oh, don't, do, gosh. Don't, don't do tech, stay don't in be school. Yeah, don't be a fool, stay <laughs> in school. That's the AD. uh <laughs>
0: What about That's people great. coming out of university? A, you know, yeah, some, yeah. It's done
1: already. So, so from there, you know, there, there's... There's, it just depends on everyone. It's kind of like life experience. And um, if you have uh, previous experience running some side projects and stuff like that, maybe the right thing for you is going to be you know start start a business that you have exposure with and that you know that you know it's going to be valid. For others, I'd definitely recommend go work for someone else. Again, going against the grain here a bit, but there is definitely value in learning um, the trade and learning from insights from people that are senior or more senior who have been in the industry for a bit longer. Yeah, just those learnings can become quite valuable when you feel that it's the right time for you to do something. If you do decide to do something, you know, every path is valid. And so there is no right or wrong prescription. You can try to raise money if if that's your thing. Uh, You can bootstrap if that's your thing. Nowadays, I think we're all spoiled for choice, really whatever we decide to do, there's going to be like a support group for that as well. Yeah.
0: Perfect. Well, uh, thank you very much, Celso, for taking a whole hour out of your day <laughs> to have this interview. No worries. And, pleasure, uh, man. and thank you for listening. Take care. No
1: problem, all. Thank you very much. Good You've been
0: listening to the Tech London Show. If you're interested in joining the community or even making an appearance on this show, make sure you join our Slack group over at techlondon.io. Till next time.